Welcome back, everybody. We're in the team room once again. It's me, Aaron, your least favorite PJ personality on the podcast. I want to say a huge welcome to everybody that's just joining us here today, finding us on the YouTube and on the Instagram. What's up for everybody that's been there for the since the day ones, as the kids would call them. What's up? Welcome back. We've got Nikki Selby on with us again. You may know her as Fly Girl RN. She's already been on the program once before, but most importantly, this week we're bringing on the mastermind. Some would say the puppeteer of March Mill Me Madness, the woman behind the curtain, behind the wizard, behind the wall that makes it all happen. Chelsea from Hunter Seven Foundation, welcome to the team room. How are you? I am living the dream. How are you? Anytime, I love the meme that says, anytime you ask somebody how they're doing, they say living the dream, ask if they're okay. Like, are you okay? Are you seriously no, okay right no. now? I am, I am not. <laughs> I'm, I am in California. And I didn't think a place worse than Massachusetts existed. Here we are. Here we are. And uh, first you know, of all, how dare you? The home of Tom Brady. How dare you? I am a Jimmy Garoppolo fan. So <laughs> there you go. Jimmy but, G. Uh, um, I, yeah. I so Callie living. That... She said well, it's her I mean, favorite. Well, I mean, in a really terrible time. I think gas is like, what, six. 10 is what it was this morning when I filled it. My favorite meme that's come out is that gas is actually higher now in the actual state of California than what they envisioned in the movie I Am Legend, which was post-apocalyptic. So they couldn't even imagine in the movies that gas would actually get this high. Yeah. I think Fantastic. I don't know if you guys have this answer, but people were telling me that prices were going to double by the summer before Ukraine and Russia kicked off. And I'm kind of like, how did they, how did people know this stuff? How did or, you know that? How could you even make that happen? Yeah, That's for, I'm going to go on a, another podcast. It's going to be straight conspiracy theories. Nikki, you're my first guest. You're already in. <laughs> it's hey, funny all of those conspiracy that. theories turn out to be true. So I know, so I know. I, doing... I will tell you right now, I, I, I graduated with double honors with my undergrad, my master's, too easy, published internationally. There's not many people I respect Light in flex. the nursing field more than Nikki. <laughs> and it's funny because like a lot of nurses, they're like compassionate. <laughs> they're like compassionate. They're like empathetic. And Nikki's like, listen, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to let you in on a secret. That's bullshit. Like I said to her yesterday, I was on the plane and I was like, hey, we should, we should try to go do something good and help out humanitarian work in the Ukraine. And I got a paragraph of like reasons why I should not. And I was like, I trust you. <laughs> a little scared. Knowing Nikki, scared. it was it was an itemized list. There were superscripts, <laughs> like it had references at the bottom. It had footnotes on it. I guarantee I know what that text looks like, girl. Like you you opened yourself up for that. I I did. And then she was like, Who the who the fuck's gonna take care of you when you're dead and bleeding? And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> on the streets of freaking Ukraine and yeah. So Man, you know what? Up here. <laughs> the guys leave me alone for one afternoon. They're like, Aaron, I'm sure you can handle this podcast on your own. And so far, I think we're demonetized. And I think we just got our first strike on YouTube. We haven't even published it yet, but that's how machine <laughs> learning works. So I, there it is. Chelsea, no, not because you swore. I'm kidding. I was more talking oh. about like exposing the truth <laughs> about the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And Nikki's oh. starting to, here's 75 bad things. Chelsea, I want you to talk about Hunter 7 Foundation and how you found your way there. So for everybody that doesn't know you or that doesn't know Hunter 7, start off with kind of your history and then tell us where Hunter 7 came from. Yeah, so um, 
I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family, first and foremost. And I was like, well, I guess my only option, since I'm good at nothing except sports, is to join the military. So out of high school, I joined the military and enlisted as an E1. Um, I cried my first two weeks of basic training because I thought I was tougher than I actually was. And it was a very interesting time for me. Um, but it was something that I, I really enjoyed. So after 10 years of being in uh, aviation, for the most part, um, I, I ended up being promoted to E5 and then ended up being placed in a platoon leader spot, which at the time I was like, this is great, more, more stuff to do. And then everybody's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and so, you know, sure as shit, I was an idiot because I was not an officer and I was doing officer work. Um, ty typical officers, they always find their ways to hey. screw up the enlisted. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think you went mute again. Oh, he did, did get you. You're mute. Did I go mute? There you are. Yeah. No. Nikki, can you hear me? I can hear you. I can't hear Aaron. He's, it's on purpose. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So regardless, um, so yeah, I, I went Sorry. into the, yeah. Can you hear me? You. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yeah. No, I was telling you to go because the, uh, sometimes when I hit mute on this silly microphone, it kicks me off and I have to hit this like sequence of buttons on my computer to get the microphone to interface correctly. So I was just telling you, just go for it. Like continue That's your story. That's the most Air Force thing I've an... ever heard. It's, this is listen, like, we're... no one, <laughs> no one hates me on this podcast more than me. And it's not even like good Air Force. Like this isn't even my primary duty. This is something I've had to teach myself how to do. So it's not even like the top standard of good Air Force stuff. It's like dollar store Air Force product, <laughs> which makes me even more upset. Like the Air National really Guard. Like, oh, wow. Wow. We brought that. Okay. You know, not really that cool. Anyway, uh, Chelsea, I guess continue with your story about how cool you are. I come from an, I come from an Air Force family and I was the only one dumb enough to serve yeah. in the army. So let's start there. <laughs> I'm the oldest of I'm the oldest of four boys. I have uh, three little brothers that are in the Air Force so or in the Army. So it's, I was the only one that went Air Force. So it's a good one. Smart decision. I mean, sure. Yeah. So, you know, me being me, I was like, fuck that. I'm joining the Army. So I joined the Army. Um, I ended up having a, um, a, a, a spine injury. I needed a surgery and uh, they were like, your career's over. We don't care if you're going to be a nurse. You can't commission, you know you're broken. See you later. Sayonara. And I was like, well, shit, what am I going to do now? So after 10 years, I ended up um, going, I was actually placed in the reserves for like my last few years and I had to uh, find something to do. So I was like, I guess I'll go to nursing school. <laughs> and so I went to nursing school and I was like, this sucks. All these people, like, I just, it was so frustrating to me that everybody was just like the lateness of wearing pajamas to class, eating snacks. Like I was just like, this is very irritating for me. Um, and so I was always on edge and I was like, this sucks. I can't handle this. So eventually I just dealt with it, went to nursing school and I met my husband, my now husband. Um, and this was like seven, eight years ago. And he said to me, we met at a Dunkin' Donuts and I made fun of his coffee cause he got an extra extra with the sugar melted. And I was like, who the fuck, like, who's this for? And it was a pumpkin spice. Joe. I was like, that's <laughs> who's, this, so he's who's like, this for? I, you yeah, to, you got you met your husband at Duncan. This is the most Boston story. This is like Massachusetts through and through. It Somewhere is. It is. The, the Dropkick Murphys is like. Do you have just? I'm shipping up to Boston, playing behind you, just twenty four seven. 
we are huge Ken Casey fans. Yeah, this is, well, and I mean, like, no shit. So we're sitting there and I was like, you know, meanwhile, I'm drinking this black hot coffee and this guy's getting this large ice, extra, extra pumpkin spice with the sugar melted. And I'm like, oh, like your girlfriend must be terrible. And he's like, it's, it's for me. And then he gets into his big old Dodge Ram pickup truck with the veteran place. And I was like, time out, dude. And me being just a, a ball buster, I was like, you know, I had to move the, you know, we have these massive potholes in Massachusetts. I just kind of like bypass the big orange barrel. And I was like, whoa, dude, this is your truck. And that's really your coffee. And I just made fun of him. And uh, then we just, <laughs> and then we just kind of hit it off. And, um, you know, he's my best friend. I love him to death. And, and he's, he's, he does the same thing to me. I, uh, <laughs> I'll, I have a story for you guys afterwards, but um, when I met him, he said, you know, I, I served in Iraq in the army and he was stationed in Germany for most of his career. Um, prior to, he was at Fort Lewis when it was still Fort Lewis. And so he deployed to Iraq 0708 and he was stop lost. So he spent 16 months there and he was attached to a third, uh, three, two, a cav regiment recon. And then he was reassigned to uh, first special forces group as one of their TOs. And so he said to me, you know, a lot of my friends died because of Iraq. And I said, well, that's kind of, you know, it makes sense. It's war. And he said, no, they died when they got home. And so he mentioned his best friend who was 24 died the day they came back from Iraq from acute respiratory failure. Um, one of his uh, E6s died from acute myelogenous leukemia, which is a blood cancer. And, and then, you know, just time after time, all of these people are dying off. And so, you know, with the striker regiments, their recon platoons are only like 19 people deep. And so when a third of them passed away, it was kind of like, wow, what, what's the big deal here? And so yeah, sure. what really got me is he said to me, my Sergeant Major, who was 44 years old, the big Irish guy died from uh, colioangiocarcinoma, which is a rare form of bile duct cancer. And it's only seen in like Asian males over the age of 80. So this 44 year old Irish man should not have had that cancer. Um, and they correlated it at MD Anderson with um, depleted uranium exposure from the strikers. And so hmm. he ended up passing away in January, 2013. And uh, his call sign as an E7 was Hunter 7. And so that's where the name came from, uh, is my husband's, you know, former Sergeant Major. So I started doing research in my undergrad, which published internationally with Nikki. Shout out to Nikki. <laughs> is that, is so, that where, you, I, I wanted to ask this too, is that where you met Nikki when you were working on the pro, uh, that, that project? Or was it before that? I don't remember. Um Nikki's always <laughs> always been a huge help since day she's one. She's always a she's our, she's always around. There. Well, I mean, like so, like <laughs> if you were in the if you were in the military medical community, you know Lieutenant Commander Nikki Selby. Like her her she she'll downplay it, but like her reputation in the community, and like I've I've spoken with her on different occasions. Like I remember one time we were up in the mountains in Utah, and she was telling me about like transportation and and. And me, I'm 31 years old, you know, and I've seen a lot of crazy shit. <laughs> I've been an ER nurse. I have, you know, my master's degree, but like she offers a different perspective that not a lot of people can, can offer with an educational evidence-based actual practice hands-on uh, outlook. And so like when you hear her story, I mean, like from a female perspective, holy shit, you know, you kind of paved the way for search and rescue. And then for, you know, just doing what you had to do in Afghanistan, her story is funny as hell because it's so military-ish. Like, like, yeah, of course they left you on a fucking base. <laughs> of course the chalk took off without you. Like, that's the military. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I always, like the other night, I had a guy who reached out who has uh, 35 years old. He has chronic, he has cr acute renal disease. 
and he's only 35 and he served in the Marine Corps for the past like 17 years. So I reached out to Nikki and I was like, look at these, like, look at these labs, look at this medication list, like help me figure this out. So she's kind of like the subject matter expert on making sense of things that I can't make sense of, which is very rare because I can make sense of almost anything. <laughs> so right. I don't know. No, she's the smart one. <laughs> I just get, <laughs> I give that blunt perspective of, no, this is stupid. <laughs> right. And she makes, so, she makes it sound smart. So yeah, I'm just, So I'm, is that when you started to kind of formalize your relationship with Hunter seven, Nikki is, is kind of, you know, when you and Chelsea started meeting up, cause I, I really want to get into when this became a, you know, the force of nature really that it is, you know, if you're looking for somebody that wants to talk about or that are really the gold standard for Hey, these problems, specifically unexplained cancers to service members at a rate much higher than their normal peers and their and their cohort and their population. Like Hunter Seven is that name. And the fact that Nikki, you've been involved with them for for so long, it sounds like that's really interesting. So when did you when did you really start diving deep into, you know, what Hunter Seven is doing? Well, I mean, it started in is the end of 2018, I think. And they you guys were just starting. And they had reached out and said, hey, you know, this is what we're about and take a look at our mission. If you're if you're if you like it, you know, if you could like maybe help support it, you know, and I, I started reading about it and it was just like, wow, we're in, it's stuff that we don't think about. Right. We're all sitting there and, and we think about it when we're overseas and we're sleeping next to it and breathing it all in. But you don't, you know, you leave that area and then you, you stop thinking about it and and you really don't correlate some of these cancers and whatever else with that, right? We just, we leave it, forget about it. Oh, wow, that sucks. All these people are getting cancer. <laughs> you don't, you don't right. think like, oh, maybe there's an actual environmental issue with that. So they reached out and I started reading about it and I'm like, wow. And, and I started out on the cancer floor uh, when I was a nurse. So got commissioned oh, wow. as a nurse after I did search and rescue and they threw me on the cancer floor, which, you know, it's, it's like the military, wherever they need you. And it wasn't, I wanted to go to the ER, but it was like, no, you have to go on one of the, the wards. So went to the cancer floor, expecting it to be older people, you know, retirees and whatever else that are at the end of their life. And it turned out to be a lot more younger people with all these crazy, weird cancers. And so when they reached out to me, it kind of brought me back to those days. And I'm like, wow, you know, I wonder if there's something, because I do remember thinking that when I was on the cancer floor, like, this is really weird that we have all these 19 year olds and 20 year olds with all these oh, weird wow. different cancers and, you know, brain cancer, lots of brain cancers, skin cancers, um, osteosarcomas, you know, having to cut off their limbs because of the cancer and just, just a whole variety of stuff. And it ranged from, 19 years old to, you know, well into, you know, like their 60s, 70s or whatever, but a lot of like 20 year olds, 30 year olds. So um, I remember thinking about it then. So then flash forward to them reaching out and I was like, wow, I wonder if there is a correlation with our environmental factors, you know, with, with all these people suddenly getting cancers. And yeah. So when I went, I read it and I was like, yeah, I'm totally down and whatever I can do to help you. She's definitely, she talk about downplaying. She downplays herself. She's the brain of the whole thing. And she, for a long time, stood behind the camera while I was kind of <laughs> like, oh, we can do this podcast. We can like, but I don't know half of this because the research thing is really not my forte at all. I love the information. I just don't like turning it into, you know, where it's, 
sounds smart like she does. So sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I'm doing these podcasts and I'm just like statistics and all this stuff. And I'm like trying to think about and trying to sound smart, but no, she's, she's the brain behind it. I've just been here for support and offering, you know, any assistance that I can talking about my experiences with, with cancer and being overseas and, and whatever else that they need from me. So, and we just, I mean, yeah. she's awesome. So, you know, when you meet her, you <laughs> build a rapport and <laughs> We just make well, fun of each other. Those... <laughs> yeah, we're exactly. very, we're very like-minded. So, <laughs> oh, that's that's the best and the worst. So I always say that you know, on this axis is time, and on this axis is like how much you hate me. And uh, the shorter that uh, that like x-axis is for me, the the hate me is way up top. Like people <laughs> actually like that know me for a long time are like, Aaron's not such a bad dude. He does mean well. He just kind of comes across bad. It's that those people that you meet right away that they're too much like you. And then you guys share a lot of the same, yeah. you know, a lot of the same feelings. It's like you're, you're in violent agreement with everything. And you're like, wait, this person and I, we're going to be friends. You know, there's, there's um, very few nurses that think along the lines. And I mean, I won't say it publicly, but there's a lot of nurses that, that share the same views with. Yeah. So, I mean, but I mean, she doesn't know what a class I, six is. Hey. So that's still, that's just that's just her having an enlisted but that's just her having an enlisted staff she doesn't have to worry about the she didn't have to worry about the n6 her uh her ncos took care of the classes one through nine so it's all good she knew what, she knew what class she knew what class eight well, she knew what class eight was so she was all over that because that's your medical class so i think so nikki spent how many years were you enlisted four Ten like and you and a half years. Ten and a half years and you don't know what a class six was come on no, and she, was you... she was saying, I have to go to the class six. I'm like, what do you mean you have to go to the class six? Like, One post. <laughs> I said I had to go to North Island to go to the class six. And yeah, and I was like, what do you mean you're going to the class six? And she's like, you know, the packy. And I'm like, what the fuck is the packy? What are you talking about right <laughs> the now? Packy. The shop like, the, it's the shop like, at, ma'am. <laughs> I, I yeah. love it. And, but I mean, so... like, in Nikki's defense, I've had, I've drank with her in the past. And I mean, it's one drink and done. She turns bright red and like takes a nap yeah. so i under i, I will give her a pass for not knowing classics yeah and chelsea's on the other spectrum do not ever challenge her to a drinking right. challenge ever you will lose <laughs> i am irish and i am from boston yeah i, I challenge you i'm a uh, I, i'm good with it even even coming from the cold tundra of northeast ohio i would i would take that with a, a measured uh, a measured approach <laughs> i would say so i, I kind of like you know the movie and nikki hearing you know you talk about it and and realizing truths that you had already you, you had already learned you just didn't put them together you didn't connect those dots i've done it before too like it's like the scene in every good crime movie where the detective has a flash of everything he's already seen yeah. you know, these snapshots of time that lead up to this final conclusion and you know i've been i had my own kind of when i was doing some research about hunter seven and in our in our chats to talk i look back to a lifetime now of me sitting you know breathing in jet fuel and you know having some weird grease from the aircraft on my hand and on my clothes or being exposed to stuff and you know hearing more and more of you know my peer group with these things that mm -hmm. should never have happened like i have you know cancer has touched my life and in, in a personal way as well to where you know i have close personal friends or maybe one removed of you know this type of cancer has seen one in literally a million people and two of my friends have gotten it you know what i mean like those things are that's a weird thing and it's it's even weirder to come to those conclusions and decide hey i need to do something about this i need to i need to positively affect this 
So for you, did you, did you have that crystallizing moment when you decided to, to turn Hunter 7 Foundation into the charitable organization that it is? Or, or was it something that was just like so in your face, it was just apparent, you're like, okay, we got to do this. So at first, I thought it was just burn pits. I was like, well, burning trash in a huge pit is probably not the best idea. But the more we kind of researched into it, you know, we decided that we wanted to be a research and educational based nonprofit organization. And so what turned into okay. a focus on research education, all of a sudden our immediate needs started blowing up. And, um, you know, during COVID, I was obviously as an ER nurse, I was I was straight in the ER for 60, 70 hours a week, sleeping there, showering. Sure. It was terrible. Um, so it wasn't until right. after that that I could really like get back in and you know through some changes within the organizational structure i mean like i can't even speak for for myself i have you know jack is, we have a nurse practitioner who was army intelligence and you know he's amazing we have keith from actually dead reckoning collective um he does our immediate needs oh, nice. and case management yeah so we have actually a pretty in-depth team um more more people more people than i think people realize um and so you know just looking at the stories looking at the cases i mean you know like like i said i spent my time in aviation nikki yourself and i mean we don't think about it like but jp8 is is probably one of the most toxic things you can be exposed to and so like you know there was one incidence where i remember the 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 general a two-star general put me in charge as an e5 (laughs) e5 with this demolition uh blast that was supposed to be set off for a for a demo i don't even know but i was like fuck yeah i want to blow shit up like that sounds gnarly so you know, we <laughs> this spent... is the best additional duty ever i get to light yeah. stuff on fire for the general no this is great so usually we were a... usually the general's involved but it's uh, in my counseling afterwards yeah, usually I mean? i'm getting yelled at and so he said right. he's like you're the smartest one here so we're gonna get i was like <laughs> i was like oh oh god um, and so we took bags of JP-8, the Air Force was with us because we were in, we were on a flight line. We took bags of JP-8, two gallon bags and plastic bags. We put them in cardboard boxes and we probably made a football field, um, a football field wide and we attached deck cord. And so me being me, I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm going to deck cord this all, you know, I'm all excited and I'm putting dynamite in places it shouldn't be. And, you know, they're like, here, here's a ton of stuff, just have at it. And so they're like, Chelsea, you did all this. So you get to blow it up with a nine volt. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, I was so excited. <laughs> and so all of a sudden I see the Air Force people move way to the other side of the airfield. And I'm like, where are they going? <laughs> me, uh, me being me, like, where, where are they going? <laughs> so I was with one other, uh, he was the E4 at the time. Now he's, a, I think he's E6. Um, and so we had this F-18 go shooting by. And so I was meant to, you know, to kind of display like what it would look like for a blast. And so as soon as it did that, I tapped this, I stripped the, the wire and tapped this nine volt and all of a sudden it blew up and um, we didn't think about it, but we were downwind. And so everything caught on fire. My boots were on fire. It was like one of those quick flash bursts and then just black smoke covered everywhere. And so when I tell people, it's like, you know, I literally, I've never, it didn't hurt, but like when you have the oxygen removed from your lungs it is the most insane feeling ever. And so like, you know, I still have pictures of it. And I was like, wow, that was such a great time, but such a bad, bad thing to do. And so, you know, a few years later, I ended up at Mass General and they thought I was having an abdominal aortic aneurysm. And I was like, I'm not that unhealthy, <laughs> you know? And right. so come yeah. to find out, I had these nodules on my lungs 
And they're like, listen, lady, you need to stop smoking. You got the lungs of like a 60 year old. And I was like, smoking what? Cause I haven't smoked a cigarette in my life. <laughs> and they're like, oh, wow. weird. Okay. And they're like, so don't worry about it. And I was like, I'm going to worry about it. <laughs> like I was 27 and, you know, and so like all these different things. And so, you know, aviation is one of the most toxic environments you can be in. And I mean, that's statistically proven. And I, and I know we chatted briefly about it, but the rate of cancer in the United States Air Force far surpasses any other branch in the military. And so in theory, when you say burn pits are, are bad, of course they're bad. You know, you shouldn't sure, burn right. shit. It's just not good. Right. But it's only one source of the problem. It's not the source of the problem, right? Because if it was the source of the problem, we wouldn't have so many aviators with cancer. We wouldn't have so many uh, service members from the Air Force with cancer. You know, we wouldn't have so many special operators with cancer because special operators aren't sitting around on a, on a fucking base throwing shit in a burn pit. They're kicking in doors. You know, they're throwing grenades in buildings and blowing stuff up. You know, so... A lot of the news right now covers burn pits, which is such a pain in the ass because it's not even close to being the biggest problem, right? But it's like that fight or flight. It kind of it's like when you're driving and you see a car accident and you're like you can't look away because you're like you know your 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 amygdala gets all excited and you start tweaking. It's like that. Sure. Like burn burn pits give you that that quick flash of excitement, you know, and so you can't look away. So it it's stimulating, but it's not the biggest problem, right? And so that's kind of where we fell in. And I mean, we put out a thing on Memorial Day last year. And we said, if you know anybody who's who's died from cancer, you know, share their story. And so we were bombarded with stories, like 500 within the first two weeks of people who have died. Oh, wow. And I mean, some of these people, I, what, what was more scary was, you know, one of the names submitted was actually my training officer, my CW4. And he died from pancreatic cancer. And I had no idea that that's, it didn't, you know. And so when you see stuff like that, and then I, I remember seeing a name of a, a doc from, a doctor from Balboa Medical Center. And I sent Nikki a text and I said, hey, do you know this guy? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> died from colon cancer. And I mean, like, it's even scarier when it's so close to home. People that you knew and people that you served with. And you're like, oh, shit, you know. And so, like, when I keep seeing my pilots come up and died from this cancer, died from this cancer. And. I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> you know? Right. So not only is it something that I advocate for to get checked out on a, on a, you know, secondary preventative level, but you know, like, Hey, understand your exposures because like literally like it could kill you. <laughs> yeah. And Nikki, I, I wanted to ask you specifically, like, you know, you are, whether you like to wear that hat or not, like you are the subject matter expert. So for my type, and I was shocked, you know, Chelsea mentioned that, that talk like for, Air Force special operations and pilots, people working around the flight line maintainers. I was shocked to learn that we were far and above. And I, I did my own independent due diligence. And we are far and away by a factor of two or sometimes three for our service components for how much cancer that is prevalent among young service members. So what are some of those things? If you could if you could lay out, hey, if you work with fuels, if you do this job, like what are those career fields that should be like, hey, I should, I should be more aggressive in my recognition of something wacky going on. I mean, I think it's, because the Air Force thing, that was a shocker to me too. I didn't know that until Chelsea had, had mentioned that. Um, but like she said, it's got to be, you know, something to do with, you know, whether it's the JPA, the fuel that we're around or the exhaust, whatever it is, you know, it's causing all this stuff. Um, it's, I don't think it, it is only, 
you know, just that though, it's, it's so many things. And Chelsea has brought up, you know, the shooters, people who are constantly shooting all the time and you're getting, you know, you did a whole post on that and the, the blowback you're getting from, you know, shooting all day long, which would explain a lot with the special operations crew. Um, I don't really think, you know, if you're in a certain job or field that you should be more aware. I just think if you're in the military and you've been exposed to all this stuff at some point and you're having some weird symptoms, then you need it. And our biggest thing and my biggest thing when Chelsea and I have talked is you have to advocate for yourself because what you're going to do, and we all know this in the military, is you're going to go to the doctor, you're going to go to the ER and you're going to say, my stomach hurts or I'm having, you know, problems breathing or whatever it is. And they're going to look at you and look at your age and they're going to immediately write you off and they're going to give you, I don't know, Motrin. It's the whole Motrin change of socks thing, right? Go sure. yeah. <laughs> it's not my right. problem anymore. We, we gave um, you an x-ray. We didn't see anything. Get out of here, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we see that in the military world. You also see that in the civilian sector. And one of the things that she and I had talked about early on is getting more of that awareness out to the civilian side of the house. So when you do have veterans that are coming to civilian hospitals after they get out, you know, that maybe they're going to be more aware to the what we've been exposed to, which is more unique than, you know, your your regular civilian population and, and you know, get your brain thinking a little bit more, whether it's the triage nurse all the way, you know, through that whole spectrum of care. Um, that one of the team members will say, hey, wait a second, you know, this guy, yeah, he's young, but you know, these guys have been exposed to X, Y, and Z burn pits, you know, if that's the big, if that's going to turn the light on and maybe make you investigate, fine, whatever. Um, but it's still, you know, we're still such a long way from there. So it's really on the person to advocate for themselves and say, Hey, you know, I've been exposed to this, maybe even no statistics. My, my big shocker with a lot of this has been the colon cancers. I am yeah. so shocked to see how many of these guys are getting colon cancer. Cause if you know, the screening doesn't even start, what is it? 45 or 50? I don't remember which. I'm 40, 40 and they, they haven't even started talking to me about it. I'm 41. I'll be turning 42 this year. And it was well, no, literally brought up as a joke. They were just like, oh yeah, you know, 45, you're going to, you know, get the, get the poke and we're going to do a colonoscopy and whatever. Like yeah. it's just not even a thing until, and, and by then, if you look like, no kidding. Um, if you look oh, yeah. at peaches, Peaches got in when he was 17. Even if he retires at, you know, 25, 26 years in, he's still right. never going to, he's never going to hit that threshold. He's going to go through an entire 20 years of his adult life, oh, yeah. 25 years without well, getting I'm a 40, single check. I'm 45. I'll be 40. So no, you're not, girl. Stop playing right now. You just, you did <laughs> that for everybody in the so... comments. You are not. You are lying. You're 45. Get out of here. Nobody's <laughs> believing you. Stolen Valor, you caught her on video. We caught you on wax. <laughs> I'm lying and saying I'm older. <laughs> it, that's it. You're you're actually yeah. 37, but you're like I want people to respect yeah. me, so I'm gonna say I'm 45, yeah. so I get that distinguished look. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I'm 45, so I'm just now eligible for a colonoscopy. Had you know, this is 27 years from when I started the military, so. Yeah. I, I actually got a colonoscopy, I think my late thirties and I had to, I had to lie essentially. I had to tell them that I had a family member that has a direct family member that has colon cancer or, or polyps or something. And that was the only way they were going to take me, 
admitting this on whatever. But yeah, that was the only way that they. It's okay, would nobody's be listening. I say this I all the time. You can say whatever you want. You can curse. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Nobody's listening. It's like a tree. Yeah. If a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there, does it make a sound? Nikki, yeah. did you really just say that? We don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, both of our followers are going to be shocked that you yeah. <laughs> you put that information out there. But yeah, I you know I I had it because I was having some stomach issues. I was you know like feeling some changes, and I just I and I probably was a little bit, I knew like three different people at that time who had colon cancer that were in their early thirties. And so I was a little freaked out with it. And so I was like, I, I want a screening and they wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. And so I finally had to say, I have a family member that has it. So they finally did it. But what's really shocking, you know, with them not wanting to do it is it's colon cancer is one of the most curable cancers. If you catch it in those polyp phases, all they do is they go in, they just remove those polyps. And then they keep an eye on you, right? So you go back, I think it's every year, every however many years to make sure that there are no more polyps. Super simple. Your life goes on, nothing ever happened, inconvenience of a colonoscopy. Now, if you don't do that and you don't want to screen people, so, you know, we've got all these guys that were in their early 30s that are having, coming with colon cancer, you know, they probably, it's probably been there for a couple of years, I would guess. And I'm guessing nobody would take them serious with their symptoms. I'm sure at some point they mentioned it to one of their battalion surgeons or somebody. And it was just like, oh, you're fine. You know, don't worry about it. You're young, blah, blah, blah. Um, Sent them home. And when they finally come back and they discover it, now you're stage four. Well, now it's the deadliest cancer (laughs) or one of the deadliest cancers when it's in stage four. So you've just gone from doing, you know, in my mind, a simple colonoscopy to, you know, which would have eliminated all these issues. If they did have a tumor or whatever, they could have gotten rid of it. Life goes on their way. They're good. To now stage four colon cancer. And most people, I mean, what's the mortality once they're diagnosed? I think it's like six months to a year or something once you're diagnosed with stage four. So yeah, it's just crazy. So that blew me away that there were so many people, so many young service members that were were coming down with colon cancer and and finding it in the later stages which to me is completely preventable you know when we talk about preventable deaths right and we always talk about this in the medicine world and in the right. ems world this is a preventable death in my eyes and it's just it's such a disservice that anybody dies from that like nobody should be dying from colon cancer <laughs> so what do they need to be saying when they go into these appointments and these checks to get there? Because it, it has to be a thing. Again, you want to advocate for yourself, but let's give them the cheat code when you go in. Cause I know what I would say now I would go yeah. in and I would say, Hey, I'm exposed to a lot of these chemicals. And I think that I might be in a risk category for this. I would like to push this up earlier. And if you don't agree, I would like a second opinion. And you know, we can go from there for, you know, what it is that yeah. you're actually allowed to request. But what would you say to those to those young men? Because I'd say when, when you hit 30, this needs to be, you know, on your checklist. You need to start thinking about these things because we are living much longer into life. So you need to start doing that. It used to be like, you know, 40s and 50s guys would start worrying about this stuff. If we're going to live longer, that means you got to move that up. It needs to go left in your timeline and not right in order to get ahead of problems. So. What would you, you're, you've been on the receiving end. You're the one holding the clipboard. You know what I mean? And you're the one recommending um, <laughs> these, these procedures. So what, what do you want to hear as that person that's like, hey, this is an informed patient and, and we should get them the scan they need? 
Well, I mean, if it's in the ER, you know, hopefully you do have somebody who is will recognize that, hey, this is kind of odd symptoms. This is, and you know, unfortunately, like the colon cancer symptoms, a lot of the times, if it's not just, you know, I'm shitting blood, um, it's, you know, oh, my stomach hurts or whatever, then it's, it's a generalized, it's hard to determine, right? Um, I think ERs are doing a little bit better with getting like, just doing a CAT scan and just kind of like, okay, let's just, let's just look and see what's going on in there. Um, but if they do go to the ER, because you know, in the ER, yes, we're busy, you know, we don't have time oh, to, yeah. to diagnose everything. People, that's people are literally there. dying right now, right? You, you don't right. have time to throw hours at, at, at each individual patient. Like there are people that are no kidding, trying to stop living and it's your job to make them quit doing that. Like you have to go stop the dying. Right. So, right. So it's really, you know, going to your your primary care doctor and being a complete pain in their ass. You know, it's like when I when I explain to people, it's like the ER should be your last resort. It's not fucking primary care. <laughs> like, do not come I here asking for Preach a refill on your lisinopril. Like, I this is not. If you don't have health insurance and you have a baby, then you can't speak English. Like, this all happens to me on a daily basis. And it's literally treat and street. And so we, <laughs> Nikki knows, we spend them at like Boston. I'll tell you what. So we spend the most as a nation on healthcare, but we receive the least return on investment. So we are the most unhealthy population, but we spend the most in healthcare. Where the fuck's hmm. the health? You know, all we see is care. <laughs> and so like, it's so tedious yeah. because like, like we have, we are always bombarded with patients. And I mean, like a, a trauma one, tier one hospital in the city. And I mean, like when I say these are all issues that like you could have went to primary care, you could have went to urgent care, or you could have just taken your meds as they were prescribed. <laughs> you know, like these are all things that yeah. you can do, like, you know, and so for us, it's very, very frustrating. So it, and it's, and here's the thing, it's crazy statistics. I love statistics. I hate to do the math part, but I like the epidemiology behind it. So 44% of um, providers at the VA are competent to provide veteran-centric care based on toxic exposures, which isn't a great number, 44%, but they're working at it, they're trying. However, a study shows that of the nursing population across the country, you know, nurses, we are the most trusted profession, and I take a lot of pride in that. We have been, I think we're better than doctors, hands down. You know, our nursing from DNP, you know, NP, you name it, I think we're great. And I, you know, I speak for all of us. <laughs> and so, you know, we care yes, the, about When the council this. met this week, they were like, you, Chelsea, you're going to be the one on the Ones Ready I'm, podcast. You're speaking for all nurses. I'm speaking for all nurses. What, did Nikki leave? Uh, she might have, but we're going to keep going. <laughs> so She might come so, back in. Sometimes it yeah, happens. So <laughs> I speak for all nurses when I say that. You know, it's like we, we care greatly about our patients. So when I, I read that, of the, the most trusted profession in the world, only 4% are competent to provide veteran-centric care, my heart broke. And I mean, like, I stepped back and I, I looked at it from my perspective, you know, as an ER nurse, and I'm like, wow, yeah, I've had a lot of younger people come in, and, you know, with only 25% of post-9-11 veterans utilizing the VA, the majority of them go to outpatient providers. And so, you know, we don't even ask that question, you know, I wouldn't assume that you're a veteran, you know, I it's so, so we're very biased based on our approach because we're, we're time constrained, you know, we're resource, our resources are fucking terrible. We're understaffed, underpaid, didn't get my break, you know, COVID, you know, everything's just against us. So, you know, if you come in and you say, Hey, I'm suffering from IBS like symptoms, nausea, vomiting, well, I'm be like, well, listen, stop 
using creamer in your coffee right. extra extra with the sugar melted. Right. That's what I tell Kyle, <laughs> you know? And so like, that's you know, on the, us. The first time, well, and the first time you described this problem, I, like the thing that popped into my head is like, you need people to think in opposition to Occam's razor. You need yep. people to actually look for the zebras when they see horses. You need people to be like, hey, this person was a veteran. They were exposed to any number of unknown and unstudied things that could possibly be causing them problems. They fit this profile. It's not going to be every single one. Like people think every single ER shift is like an episode of House where there's some <laughs> complex medical thing that you like you study on and you read an obscure passage and you figure it out no i'll tell you what it's a lot of it's a lot of people that don't actually need you that are using a system that they shouldn't i distinctly remember when i was doing uh and this was when i was a pj right like we always go back and we do two or three week rotations i was in birmingham alabama and i called my dad my dad was a 30-year fireman and paramedic in a small town in northeast ohio i grew up in the firehouse and i called my dad and this is after I deployed, right? I don't call my parents when I'm proud for many things. I called my dad and I told him, dad, I had 11 calls tonight on a 24 hour shift. Every single person that called that ambulance needed the ambulance. And it had never happened to me before. I called him and I was like, dad, every single one of those people that called 911, like, I mean, we had like two or three car accidents. We had somebody whose baby was having a, a no kidding grandma seizure. And it was like, they needed intervention to help. Every single person that called 911 needed 911. It is never like that. I called to tell him that because I was like, I can't believe we didn't get one BS call. I, I can't believe that our system didn't allow for these things that should not be there. So it's really hard when you get jaded and you see jaded paramedics. And j I know you've seen burnt out nurses and burnt out doctors and burnt out yeah. EMTs <laughs> that they're just over it. And right. Yeah. And you get you get so frustrated with it that, uh, you know, that kind of thing is pervasive. But what we need here is we need somebody that doesn't want to just process another patient through. They want to look and say, hey, wait a second. This could be a serious thing. And this is what it's very rare that you get to actually make an impact on a situation that you can point to and you can go, this is when I turned the tide for this patient's treatment. And it yeah. sounds like we just need to get awareness out there so that people are, are even aware that, hey, there's a whole category of people. You need to look at these different things. Right. I mean, it's kind of like when, you know, and unfortunately, that what goes against these guys is they're young. And, and it's that bias with medical. It's like, oh, there's no way you're having a heart attack or there's no way you have cancer because statistically over the last, you know, whatever, and we're, you know, we may need new research or whatever to change those statistics and see really like sure. how much these cancers are affecting people at a younger age. But there is that bias where they automatically just start writing you off. Mm -hmm. Um so it's really being, you know, how do we get that awareness of, if, you know, you get a 60 year old come in and say, I have chest pain. We usually take that pretty serious because they're in that, that age group, right? The group that right. we know or statistically know. Um, so now we, we need that, that sort of thought process when a veteran comes in and says, you know, my, you know, I haven't been crapping right the last whatever four or, months, you know, you know constant mm -hmm. migraines or you know problems yeah. that i never had before like especially new onset weird things like skin conditions or stuff you're just like yes. why do i have this patchy part why am i waking up at three right. o'clock in the morning for no good reason it can manifest itself in a whole lot of different ways you know right um so it's yeah it's and crazy. It, it's... you mentioned so how we got started on this conversation was a friend of yours who we won't mention by name was passed away from skin cancer and 
his story was one of the stories that was submitted to us. And so as a nurse with a master's degree, <laughs> as a published researcher internationally, I had no idea that melanoma could be metastatic. I oh, yeah. was, right. I, I read that and I was horrified because your girl is from Boston, a hundred percent Irish. So <laughs> I am whiter than the walls behind me. Your girl's so, out here, fair skin. Yeah. You, you're glowing. You look like a, you look like white bread that got topped <laughs> off with some baby powder. I, I really do. Right like, like, a paper. like I'm as white as a paper. So I Sheesh. took the story to heart and a lot of other people did when, when we sh briefly shared it. And so the next day I called the VA and I was like, I need to be checked out at Durham. And they're like, why? <laughs> and I was like, you see my skin? And so I went in and this is a true story. This is, I swear to God. Um, I went in and I went for my appointment. I want to say it was Wednesday, this past Wednesday. And they checked out a few and they said, this one is stage, either stage zero, or stage one melanoma. And I was like, what? And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, we did the scrape test. It came back positive. We have, so I have to go when I get back from here. I have to have like three of them removed because they're 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 cancerous. And I was like, wow. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so they that said to right. me, a lot of you know, you mentioned the skin conditions, and it's like one of them's on my wrist right here. And so what happened was JP8 literally burned my skin, getting soaked with JP8. Because you know, in aviation, we we act cool and we wear like our sleeves rolled up and we think we're high speed and we can wear aviators in the flight line. <laughs> and so I doused my arms. <laughs> sure. So now my skin is like degrading and like, they're like, we need to get rid of this because this is cancerous. And I was like, holy shit. And so to, to think about how fast and progressing a, a skin cancer oh, yeah. can be like my heart sank when they said to me, and I was like, I'm 31 years old. And they're like, yeah. Well, and melanoma is again it's another cancer that if you catch it early yeah you're nine times out of ten you're fine but it's one of those when it progresses you know to a metastatic state then you're it's and my first you know dealing with that is when i was on the cancer floor and i had this aviator a pilot who was in his i think he was 35 and we he came to us we started the chemotherapy regimen the whole bit Within six, I we watched him deteriorate over about not even six months. I want to say like three or four months. Oh, heartbreaking, and, isn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, he was done within four months of his diagnosis. And I remember distinctly there was this right towards the end of his life, his command had come over. They wanted to give him an award. And so we, you know, they, they all came over to the hospital and we had a, a solarium room in the back of the ward that, you know, was a nice room that they could do the presentation. And his wife goes to get him out of his room and he's just, cause it had metastasized his brain and he was just out of it. And like, he's just wandering around, has no idea who he is, what he's doing. His kids are there. And it was just, I was like, melanoma, really? Like this is going to take this Heartbreaking. Yeah. young 36 year old out. Like, we, you know, I, I feel like with the, the skin cancers, you know, you can advocate for yourself a little bit better. And one of the things that you do need to do is one, be aware. Right. So that's where like, it's great with Hunter seven and all the aware. I mean, the stuff you're putting out there is just, I'm sure things people had never even thought about or, you know, didn't know about. I mean, when we're surprised by it and we're in the industry, <laughs> I was like, you know, people who are not medical are like, what? Um, so education. And then two is, you know, with skin cancer, especially you can go. And if you are at higher risk, like, you know, you're Irish or, you know, you've been in the sun all your life, whatever, you know, you can go to your dermatologist and they will do a yearly skin, like, 
a mapping of your skin mm -hmm. and they'll like, they'll have all of your moles and locations and describe everything out. So then when you go back again, if anything's changed, and then you can also be looking at yourself too, right? So you know yourself the best. You can, you know where the moles are. The back's a little bit harder with you have some it lives with you. You can have them look at your back. So you can do a little bit more advocating for yourself with the skin cancer, but yes, it's a, but the thing with like melanoma, a lot of people, um, where they get burned is that you can get moles like between like the webbing of your fingers, your toes, your and people line. don't ever look in those spots, right? Behind their knees. When when's the last time you look behind your knees? <laughs> Never. I am not so not flexible. If I try to if I try to look behind my knees, I'm gonna break my spine in half, Nikki. Like not everybody <laughs> has your mobility. First of all, Nikki, when's the last time you saw the back of your knees? I can't <laughs> we'll wait we'll look wait why did that sound so aggressive it's, yeah because i'm trying to look at the back of my nikki that's inappropriate <laughs> x-rated i try to, to tell the guy about the podcast that i got us fired on i do right, want to listen say you two focus this is a family <laughs> show focus so Chelsea, there are the floor. specific there are specific risk factors. So, I mean, like, and this is where, like, like Nikki was in, um, in a, in a nice, nice, warm desert type area in Afghanistan, but like us army folk, you know, we were up in the mountains in Afghanistan and, you know, and think about it like this, right? Kabul is the most disgusting place in the fucking world. Literally. Like they burn trash and shit just to stay warm. And so the ozone layer is totally depleted. And so when you think about the elevation in Kabul versus, uh, like Sangin, you know, you're looking at two different elevations. And so you are actually more likely to be exposed to cancerous predispositions, or you're more likely to be diagnosed with melanoma if you served in Kabul, where the ozone layer is depleted. You know, it's a lot colder yeah. and there's snow. Because the ionized radiation, yeah. Because you're yeah, that, that much closer. Um, aviators too, right? Because we're always Aviator. flying high <laughs> elevation. No, so. I, I met this guy named Joel Neeb. He didn't deploy overseas. He was a F-22, one of those uh, Tom, not Tom Clancy. What's that guy's name? Tom Cruise. When he did the the, the plane thing, the Tomcat. Top, top, top Gun? Top cat. Are you, are you, are you reaching for top, top Gun? Gun is the name of the movie? The best movie top on Gun. the face of the Whatever. planet? Listen, listen. I was in the army, okay? <laughs> I was inverted. <laughs> I was inverted. Yeah. Well, Chelsea. so this guy, this guy was one of those guys, right? So he was one of those high speed, like number one pilots, went to the Air Force Academy, like beautiful man, literally, Joel Neeb, very good looking man. He, he Shout was- Shout out to Joel. Wherever you are, Jay Daddy, you got a couple of stands here on the Ones Ready podcast. So Shout out for having a square actually, jaw and some steely eyes. So it's literally, you have to look him up on Facebook. So he actually wrote a book, but he's competing in American Ninja Warrior this, this week. So great guy. And so um, anyways, he- started flying and when he would <laughs> when he would pull over like three g's in his um in his suit he'd get this pain and it was where his appendix was so obviously if you have pain in your side it's usually appendicitis you know you push on it if the pain goes away when you push on it and then you release it comes back usually indicative of appendicitis they did From that at this point you're looking for rebound tenderness. No big deal. <laughs> that's no big deal that's what it is shout out no big deal. <laughs> so, so check no this out deal. So, listen we're all professionals here yeah the air force the air force doc was like no you like they didn't think it was appendicitis because nothing really matched that he was fine it just only hurt when pressure was on it like in the when he was pulling g's a year later they finally determined that he had appendix cancer and so like 
it, his book's amazing. Talking to him is amazing. They gave him like a month or like a few months to live at 31 years old. And he like ended up beating it. But I mean, like, this is somebody who spent his entire career. And so I said to him, I was like, but what the hell? Like, how do you get all these exposures? And he's like, my wingman behind me would point the, the laser on me to track me on like the, you know, like to keep eyes on, I don't know, I, fancy Air Force stuff. I don't know. I was, I was in the army. <laughs> and so these like okay. these lasers to like track on the sonar or the radar and they cause their cancer causing rays, like literally. And so we use them in the army too, in the uh, helicopters, you know, when you have IR beacons and you shine down those lasers, those are actually cancerous. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't know that, did you? <laughs> I, we'll talk about that I off comms too. Until just now I was today. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's yeah, flag them that one further. And I was so, like, today years old. Yeah. So like my guys that are like the tack peas that they're calling in, you know, danger, close airstrikes and, you know, we're shining down and we're like, Oh yeah, there you are. <laughs> ah, <laughs> but so, yeah. So he said, there's a lot of radiation, a lot of different systems in these airplanes and then like the car paint and all this stuff. So like, so many exposures happen in the most crazy places. And like Nikki was saying, these special operators, I mean, like when you think about like the, the team guys from the SEAL teams, they do those workup things, right? And they, they train and they shoot and they do the same drill over and over and over and over again. I posted a video on, on Instagram of what it looked like to shoot various calibers in like slow motion and to watch the actual propulsion of like gas and lead and just particulate matter and i mean like i shoot a lot you know my noveski shirt shout out to noveski i love lorena um what's up guys i know you're a big yeah, fan what's up, lorena? What's up, what's up elrad <laughs> so what's up, elrad? true story <laughs> true story so i'm gonna convince her actually here's the thing so i'm gonna convince her fn right now is the only one who has piston driven uh rifle systems in the dod mm -hmm. and so i'm gonna convince noveski HK runs a piston, the 416 and 417. Oh, well, listen, not everybody's that high speed, okay? Oh, okay, okay. Way to turn I, that around and make that a dig on me. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, well, okay, so we have two, two manufacturers engineered overseas, but I'm saying, like, like piston-driven yeah. versus gas-operated makes such a huge difference. And, I mean, like, for me, like, does, I yeah. mean, well, for somebody like Nikki, I should say, but a lot of my shooting was done indoors, and, like, I was talking to Casey, um, I, Casey's amazing, one of Nikki's friends. And he was saying he's a, a RSO at an indoor gun range. And I mean, like on the day-to-day -day basis, he has people turn guns on him by accident, all that, you know, all that good stuff. But more so the amount of lead exposure that he faces from being in an indoor range. And I mean, like when we talk about colon cancer, think about it. Everything we do, we can absorb through the mouth. We can inhale through the mouth. We can um, ingest through the mouth and everything goes to one, you know, more often than not, it will go downwards through your GI tract, whereas some stuff can go into your your um, your trachea. But for the most part, you're predisposed to so many bad things that enter your system. And I mean, like, you know, I'm going to share a story with you because it, this story kills me. It kills me to this day. And I mean, I am not an empathetic person. At least I try not to be, right? Because that's how you get you? burnt out. I'm, I'm, listen, this kid brought me to tears. He was so thankful. And so... 32 years old. He was diagnosed. He spent uh, his career. He went to uh, boot camp up the street in um, San Diego. He, he went to a third recon, uh, the third recon Marine. What do you guys call it? And he went to Okinawa. He sure. responded to the, uh, the Fukushima nuclear reactor incident when he was on a ship and he had no idea. Nobody had any idea. And so then he goes to mm -hmm. Afghanistan. Um, he was 
you know, with a, a unit and the commander ended up dropping a JDM danger close 38 meters away from him. His friend got the silver star. He got a bronze star. He gets out, swear to God, he gets out. He ends up joining the Ohio national guard and he, uh, he signs up to be, a, um, uh, 18 x-ray. So he goes to the schoolhouse, talk about a badass guy, very, very nice mm-hmm. guy too. And so he goes and he becomes the 18 Bravo goes back to, uh, uh, Ohio and then redeploys with 219. So he goes over to Afghanistan, sure. deploys again, comes home, and uh, everything's good to go. Ten years in the military, and then he um, he becomes a cop in Wisconsin. With you know, he has a wife, two kids. Thirty-one years old this past summer. He's fucking my age. Thirty-one years old, right? He goes to the doctor because he's having issues, stomach issues, you know, GI diarrhea, nausea, very unspecific, right? Especially for somebody like him, we could chalk mm. that off to psychosomatic. PTSD, IBS, lactose, like there's a list that I could chalk this off to. So they do a scan of his, his, um, his, you know, his, his abdomen and they think they see a cancerous mass. And so they uh, end up taking a biopsy. They did a ERC, uh, ECRP or whatever it is. And they identify that, yeah, this is most likely adenocarcinoma, but it's in the early stage. It's in the pancreas. So it was stage 1B adenocarcinoma of the pancreas. And they said, you know, they assumed it was hereditary because he's 31 years old. How in the world would this young, healthy specimen of a man be diagnosed with this severe cancer that's seen in somebody who's 68? And so they treated him with a a medication that was immunotherapy based on a hereditary predisposition. And within seven months, his cancer transformed to stage four and it spread to his liver. Wow. Seven months. And so... I've been working with him. He, he calls me and he says to me, I pretty much, he said, I, I understand that I'm going to die. I, it is what it is, but please do not let my wife go unhelped and my kids, please help my wife and kids. And my heart broke. And so of course, you know, mm-hmm. Wisconsin, I don't even know where Wisconsin is on a fucking map. So I can't imagine their healthcare it's system is that good. Yeah, I know. I'm sure it's cold. There's like a mitten. It's headquartered. Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's way north. So regardless, you know, I'm like, well, I can't imagine their healthcare is as good as in Boston because, you know, we're very confident in Boston that we're the best at everything we do. So I sent him the Dana Farber. Everything. Best football team, best baseball team. So best medical schools. So... Mm So we sent him, I got him to Dana-Farber next, the next day. I was like, please, Dr. Abrams, you're one of the best in the, in the East Coast. Please help this guy. And he made the same mistake. He said, there's no way that, like, he thought that it was Lynch syndrome, a genetic predisposition. And I said, no, because if it was Lynch syndrome, the metastatic biopsy in the liver would show that, and it doesn't. And so his cancer, we actually made, using machine learning, a, a risk factor list based on his exposures, on his OMAR reports, the most in-depth classification of exposures you can imagine. And it ranges from 2,4 uh, DNT from the danger close JDAMs, uh, cesium uh, from the radiation from Fukushima. And so like, of course mm-hmm. this fucking guy has pancreatic cancer. Like for fuck's sake, he drank the right. water in Afghanistan. You know, he would like, you know how many people who, who served in Afghanistan probably have H. pylori? And that's a, that's an easy correlating factor for, for uh, cancer, throat cancers, lymphoma, like, like Nikki, how do you think she lost so much weight? H. pylori. No, <laughs> no, Get she out works. Out. <laughs> yeah, That's why she needed. The, 
the disrespect. <laughs> I see her on the gram just pumping, just pumping. That's the well, it's so the eight. Here, here's, here's my question though. It's like we we have all seen these things, and you know, in my head, of course, there's this voice. It's like, oh, tell your own story about you know your own quick diagnosis to cancer death. But the fact that I know Nikki has a ton of those stories. That's not your only story. That's not even my only story. The fact that we can sit here, the three of us, and we just, we have all of these things that we want to tell. It just, it's indicative of how much this actually is an epidemic. And it is something that we need to address. Like, let's get aggressive with it and let's really get the help out there. So it seems like a good time to transition. Like, how do we help Hunter 7? We'll talk about Mill Me Madness. And I mean, everybody knows you as the mastermind behind that, that it's like the land of misfit toys they just everybody puts their spears down for like two times i a have year. no it's idea Mildred madness and halloween <laughs> i have no idea have who no that idea. cat have... is we, i don't even know <laughs> his real cat? name we call him the cat another another sf meme page <laughs> i i adore him i was like hey yeah like who are you like i want to send you like a fucking thank you <laughs> and he's like don't you worry about it don't worry yeah i'm like that's how that it's the cutest cat too cutest cat in the world but that cat (laughs) has raised more money than you can love him you're right how 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 do we keep this going for you though so outside of you know mill me madness how can the average dude or do it at like how do we actually support it do we just retweet everything that you put out and repost everything or can we actually make donations do you guys have any or like any sort of other events during the year or what so I'm actually in San Diego for an event. <laughs> Go ahead, the biggest Disney. thing, and I think how how you guys blew up is is really that um, finding certain communities that have mm. been advocates and have been very proactive in, you know, just the awareness that you exist mm. and and getting it out there. Um, obviously, like donations help. Donations help all these people who can't afford second opinions and, you know, certain testing or, you know, when the military is like, you know, not paying attention to them and, and Chelsea's networking with her other people to, to get them help. So, you know, donations are always, you know, or helping families be near their loved ones when they have to go to the hospital or whatever. I mean, I know you spend tons of money on all that. So, you know, that's always great. I think the biggest thing is, is always going to be education. Um, you know, and it all comes down again to, we're not going to fix the healthcare system to say, oh, you're a veteran. You could have been exposed to X, Y, and Z. Let's go and run these tests. Like that's never going to happen probably anytime sure, soon. Right. So, right. Um, but if, but the more we can get the awareness out and, and if we can slowly change the mindset to like, oh, hey, I see a 60 year old with chest pain, automatically think that's serious to, you know, change the mindset to the veterans that come in and have these kind of vaguer symptoms with, you know, whether it's stomach or lungs, whatever, to say, hey, maybe, you know, we're missing something here. Let's look into it. Um, but when you when you spread the awareness and education, it also puts it on the individual as well. So now they're aware of all of these different things. They're aware of colon cancer. They, they know statistics. They know, you know, if I catch it early, you know, so that might put a fire under their ass, like, hey, no, my symptoms are you know, and, and Chelsea does really good posts on that, right? So when she talks about colon cancer, she's always putting these are symptoms that can happen or you can have, you know, more gen or more specific than the general I'm having stomach pain or gassiness or whatever else. Like she she goes in the depth of, hey, if you actually see this or, you know, you have blood in your your 
your feces or if you have stringy, you know, mucusy type of thing coming out here, but whatever, you know, like these are, these are very, right. They're very um, specific things that could be colon cancer. So it's hitting on those keywords when you do talk to doctors that, Hey, it's not just abdominal pain or it's not just gassiness. I'm having these symptoms and being able to track it too. Like I started noticing this. So, you know, yeah, you turn around and look in the toilet after you take a crap and like, Oh, this is what I'm seeing or whatever. If you come in with more information to the doctor, they're going to be more apt to listen to you and to start paying attention to what you're saying. So it's, you know, I'm not saying go and be, you know, the, the internet doctor, but just being more aware of, your body, because when we know our bodies better than anybody else, we do tend to ignore a lot of symptoms and nurses are probably the worst at doing that. But it's, you know, being more aware, like, hey, you know, something's kind of changed and, and knowing that, hey, I, I served overseas, I was exposed to this, maybe I shouldn't ignore this or, oh, hey, this mole looks kind of weird or, you know, let me do a body check or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm getting headaches every single day. This is probably not normal. Let me go in because there's a lot of brain cancer too, right? In the Navy community, there is yeah. a lot of a lot of brain cancer. Actually, Nikki Nikki sent over a, a young guy, a 31 year old, who her friend told us about, and within that week, we got him up to Duke Oncology, and he's doing much better considering. But I mean, it's that that enacting the community, using the resources, and I mean, like like I don't care what time of the day it is. I mean, maybe I'll you know I'll I'll always make sure that you get the care you need. And our team will too. Like, and if I don't have the answer, I'll reach out to Nikki or I'll re reach out to whoever, or she'll reach out to somebody, you know? And so it's like, we're all in this together. And so, I mean, 90% of what comes into this foundation goes back out. And so, you know, the other 10% is like admin costs. But when people say to me, like, this is, this is a volunteer gig for me, I get paid $77 a year, $77 and 77 cents a year. Nice. That's my, that's my I salary. Don't get your tank filled up right now. Yeah. I have, I drive a Dodge Ram Rebel, so. <laughs> no, well, okay, never mind. Yeah, sorry, that's not, that's not even filling your tank up. That's like a half tank. I do need a shout out, Chelsea, because you're speaking of that individual that you're talking about. This is how fast she, and this is like, I know if I say something to her, she jumps on things so quickly. So this guy put out a, a post on Facebook. He was so hopeless didn't know where to go, didn't know where to turn to anymore. The, the healthcare system was like basically like shooing him off at this point. So one of my friends who, who knew me was a corpsman, um, put out, I saw her post on Facebook saying like, if anybody knows someone who can maybe help or a foundation, like, I mean, he was like, I, he was pretty down <laughs> when I think you got a hold of him and just kind of hopeless. And I saw it and I was like, I'm going to show Chelsea this. And just thinking that you kind of read over it and like, you know, maybe reach out to him at some point. She literally, I, you emailed him or something within like probably 10 or 15 minutes of me giving her the information. She had him on the phone, was talking to him. I mean, things were moving within like a couple of days with him getting, you know, you had him over at, was it Duke you said? Duke, yeah. Um, I mean, literally paying for all of this for him to get this second minute. She's, you know, on the phone with these doctors and he's rolling. And I remember I see his post. I think it was the next day or, or two days after, like, oh, my God, there's this angel that is like come out and like I'm already I'm on my way over to Duke. And like, I mean, just craziness, the, the speed that she works in and the network that she has. And that's why, like, yes, number one is raising the awareness that they exist. And, I, you know, they've gone from when I you know, kind of signed on with you guys. I think you had like 800 followers. So what, you're like pushing 40,000 no. now. So, and that's in just a couple of years. So, 
you know, the community has really stepped up and helped. And I think they also see the genuine of you. Like she literally does not, I don't think you sleep. Um, you know, and she, it's, it's all about these people and you to, for you to say you're not empathetic is such bullshit because I try not to be, <laughs> but like she jumps on things and you relate with people and it's, it's that East coast thing you're talking about, right? You, yes. You're very brash and you're you very might, forward. You might not be nice, but you care. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not girl. nice, but I do care. <laughs> it's uh, going to exactly. go down being with you and to know that you have that, like that, that back behind you. Like she will literally, she will go down with you. Like she'll figure out every well, possible thing. Not great. Yeah. And I, I mean, I worry about you a lot, but you know, you do, you take it all in and you know, that, that person becomes your family and you're not going to let them die without, you know, going you know, down every single app. So. You know, what's funny. I didn't realize how desperate some people are to have bone marrow donations. And so we actually registered with be the match. And, and if, for me personally, it's like, if I ask anybody else to do something, I will be the first one in line to do it. Right. And so shortly after I signed up to, to be a donor for this bone marrow drive for veterans, Nikki was the next one. And it's like, that just tells you like the, the, the level of commitment we have towards this, you know, like, like if there's anything I can do, I told this kid in, in Wisconsin, I said, listen, man, you can live out of pancreas. If you need a liver, if I'm not your blood type, then I will find somebody who is your blood type because like, you're not in this alone, man. Like if I need to find five livers and take a piece from each one, like, like you know, like I've asked for worse things. <laughs> so, you Literally know, it grows itself. Why would you need five pieces? Do you need five individual liver? I don't, what, I what don't know, but, but here's it's the thing. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll make a tree. Crime podcast. I'll make a tree. Go kill somebody with the liver you need, so you can have that. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? It's like it's like this is our community. These are people that I served with, that you served with, that she served with. You know, it's like it's like as an as a nurse, and this is a downfall about nursing. As a nurse, we it, it sucks because this is stuff that we do take home. And when I say that I get a new cancer diagnosis to me about weekly, and probably a death about bi weekly. It's, it's tough. And I mean, like, like that, like I said, that list has grown. I mean, Nikki and I just lost a guy to colon cancer that we were, that had easily two years left and he died suddenly. And so, I mean, like, you know, aviation guy. And so, I mean, like, like this is just, it's tough and it hits home. Like it hurts. It hits home and it hits hard, especially when you learn about their families and about their loved ones and, you know, all the things that were missed. And it's like, this is our, our profession. Like we are healthcare providers. If I, if I am, if I'm not competent to do my job, then I don't belong in this position. You know, it's not a DOD problem. It's not a VA problem. It's a healthcare provider problem. You know, if you can't look at your patient individually, if you can't look at them for their risk factors, you know, and, and literally listen to their story and stop being jaded based on that everybody goes, you know, and just is a tertiary cycle of, of process, like take a step back. Like when's the last time, you know, I'll be the first one to tell you the VA has given me a fucking pound of pills. And when I say, well, okay, if I have severe acid reflux, which 70% of the military does, what's the root cause? I don't drink that much, but like, what's the root cause? Like, why are you just going to give me pantoprazole or omeprazole instead of actually looking at the root cause? Is it H. pylori? Is it a gastric ulcer? Is it, what is it? You know? And so when you ask people, what's that root cause? And they don't have an answer. That's even more concerning. Cause I mean, it's like putting a bandage on a fucking bullet hole. But that's that's the problem with our healthcare is we're very reactive, right? We're supposed to be the, the best in, in the world, but we're very reactive. We don't do anything or we 
I mean, I know we try to push the preventative measures and I think, I think it's gaining some steam with people wanting to be more healthy. And um, well, I think you have kind of a division. I think you have, a, you know, half of the population who are all about being healthy, not having to go to the doctor, being very proactive, um, you know, getting ahead of, of all the things like, like for me, for instance, right. I'm in my forties. I know, okay. Like things are starting to deteriorate. I got my hormones checked. You know, I'm doing hormone replacement therapy because my testosterone wasn't even registering. Um, I'm doing things proactively that is going to keep me healthy in the long run. And mm-hmm. then you have the other class that are still like they're going down that road of like, it's that give me class, right? Well, I don't want to have to work for anything, but my, I want my health to be well. And they're the ones who are showing up and, you know, mm-hmm. thinking every pill is going to magically cure them or whatever. And, and you know, that's a dangerous road to go down. So I think the second part of it too is, yeah, you got to take your health under control. And I know like, you know, as veterans, especially once we get out, we go through these funky little periods, right? Where it's this transitioning period. I don't know my identity really well. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So what do most of them do? They go down this path of being really unhealthy, which is drinking and, you know, destructive behaviors, drugs, whatever. Yeah. Various self-destructive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, and they start gaining weight, right? Because nobody's holding them accountable for, for being in shape or PRT fitness, whatever. Um, so then they're, they're going down this road and that's what you do know about cancer and certain cancers is that we're exposed all the time, but once your immune system starts to break down and it can't fight those cells, then, then that's when it becomes a problem. So, you know, not to say that everybody who's unhealthy gets cancer, but I'm just saying that the more healthier you are, you're going to eliminate 90% of your problems and whether that's cancer, whether that's diabetes, whether that's um, heart issues and problems, whatever, you know, there is a big push. Um, I don't know if you guys seen it, I'm sure, but on this like social media with a lot of like pretty, you know, respected veterans where they've all quit drinking. Like I've, I'm seeing that more and more that that's a thing. They're not smoking anymore. They're not drinking anymore. Um, being yep. sober is kind of the cool thing these days. <laughs> like, it's actually quite, I wouldn't say shocking, but it's, you know, from where I come from and the time that I come from, where it was just normal to, to be smoking and drinking all the time. And now having the seventies. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Hurtful. You know what? It, was, it wasn't what you said. It was how you said it. It was your thing. <laughs> is what really hurt. Sorry. Well, Go ahead, continue. I mean, it's, you know, you have these, these, um, and you know, and the thing with like special operations, people do look towards that, right? As much as we like clown on him, (laughs) everyone loves to hate on him. Um, You do like the community does look up to them. And so you have a lot of these top tier guys who are like, I'm sober, I'm not taking these pills. And they're talking about it too, which is really cool. Um, But talking about being sober and they're talking about, you know, trying to get rid of all the drugs that maybe the VAs put them on or whatever else. Um, and just starting to live that healthier lifestyle and going and working out. A lot of them are doing jujitsu, which is not only you're now taking care of your health, both physically and mentally too, right? So all of those things play into your mental health as well. So um, that's a big thing. And I think, you know, that's, that's another, you know, you have to advocate for yourself health-wise if you do feel, feel something's wrong, but you also need to advocate in, in getting your health in, in check and and living that healthy life. I mean, you have to take accountability as well, but, you know, getting the word out there, the awareness out there and the education, that's, that's the biggest thing. And the donations yeah. I think come with that, right? So people see your mission, okay. they see how genuine you are and they, they want to help and give. So. Yeah. We, we spend totally a lot of money agree. towards 
second opinions and, and medications and you name it. Um, you know, at our event on Tuesday, we'll be presenting three checks to three other foundations, you know, um, one for medical aviation cancer support, one for cancer caregiver support, and then one for um, helping clean out the mold in enlisted barracks. <laughs> so, Jeez. you know, everything goes back into the community. You know, this is this is our way of continuing service without serving, right? So. Well, Chelsea, tell everybody where you can be found for any single project that you want. It's on the IG and we'll, we'll blast it out from now until we get the podcast out. Like you have friends in us for whatever we can do to help you out again, you know, from our first conversation, I was absolutely shocked to find out that our specific, you know, air force and air force yeah. special operations had such a rate that it did. And you were like, Oh my God. Yeah. You, you have to be talking about this. So where can we find you? Where can we support you? And most importantly, how do we donate? to make sure you guys can keep going on and doing your righteous mission. Yeah. I mean, you know, check out the website, you know, Hunter seven, H U N T E R S E V E N.org. Um, you know, on social media, we're always posting tidbits of information. Uh, Keith is doing our blog now. So that's great. <laughs> Cause he's great at stuff like that. Um, so I like to write books on social media posts and everybody's like, that doesn't work. But I was like, there's so much information. So check out the new blog. Any specific questions, reach out to at flygirlrn <laughs> at flygirl right now. Spell it out. She'll answer all the questions right. for you. <laughs> somebody somebody asked me the other day. Well, somebody asked me the other day, like, what's what flygirlrn mean? Flygirl right now? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> it was the funniest yeah, thing. Flygirl right now, my dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, look at her. Look at her page for a half a second and tell me what RN stands for, you idiot. It's She's funny, on there now, all the time. Now he says he's like he's like his fly girl right now coming. I'm like, you're fucking. <laughs> so, but no, Chelsea, in all seriousness, I can't though, say thanks enough. <laughs> all seriousness, though, anything anybody needs, shoot me an email, Chelsea C H E L S E Y at Hunter Seven dot org, um, or Keith, or just drop an immediate needs request if you have some serious concerns about your health. We'll get on it. Um, in, all, in all seriousness, you know, health is priority. So we like to joke, but we also like to take care of people. So, yeah. Well, from us to you, thanks very much. We'll do everything we can to help. For everybody else out there, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Go follow Hunter Seven and Nikki over at Fly Girl right now. I love it. <laughs> Fly Girl underscore right now. <laughs> Nikki Selby. I want to say thanks for uh, you guys coming into the team room. I appreciate your time and keep going. Anything we can do to support. We will. Everybody else, train hard. Have a good one.